chapter 18. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time as we study your word. We're thankful for all the things that are taking place here at Calvary Chapel. And, and Lord, we do it so we can be together with brethren, so we can fellowship. And Lord, I look forward to the, the conference on Saturday with the men getting together. I pray that they would all get here and no one would have any problems. No one would be discouraged and not come. Because we know that when you want to do something wonderful, that the enemy is going to come and try to discourage every man that is here and signed up and coming. So we pray that the men that are signed up from Fort Lupton and, and uh, uh, from Windsor and um, other places that are coming would come, get here safely, that we'd have a blessed time of being encouraged. Um, men on fire. We want to be on fire for you, Lord. And uh, we look forward to meeting uh, new men in the Lord and uh, having a time of worship. And um, as Ian comes up from Calvary Aurora and does worship as well, um, Lord, we are going to be blessed. And I know you're going to do a marvelous work. But tonight, we pray that you would do a work in this place and all of us. Thank you for all the children. As I look in the children's ministry and all those kids in there, I pray you bless them and how they're learning. And and uh, the youth upstairs, I thank you for our young people. And Lord, truly, this is a good place for us to be. Help us to remember to, to reach into our pockets or in our purses and turn off our cell phones and just be attentive now uh, for the next few moments and what your word has to say. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you guys know this, but yesterday there was elections in Israel. And, um, and Benjamin Netanyahu was re-elected as the prime minister. Matter of fact, it's his third term as the prime minister of Israel. And in his victory speech yesterday, he said that the, his main challenge for the new government and for him is to, a, again, to try and um, stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. And of course, we know that's been in the headlines, hasn't it, over the last few years, and especially this fall, as um, you know, negotiations are, are sought after with Iran. And, um, and they're getting closer and closer as the reports are coming out uh, that they are pursuing uh, their nuclear technology. Uh, the Western uh, countries, as well as Israel, are convinced that they are trying to develop a nuclear weapon and wanting to put it on a missile. And it's very, very discerning and uh, very much of a concern for the world, in the Western world, and especially for Israel, because not only do you have the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, but all of the leadership of Iran, the Ayatollahs, that are saying that Israel must be wiped off the face of the earth, that they are a cancer and they need to be done away with. So Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the prime minister of Israel, as well as uh, the, the, the leadership there, they take those threats very, very seriously. So once again, we see that this is in the forefront, and I believe that as we continue through this year, we're going to hear more and more about it, as you recall that as uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was at the United Nations in October that he drew that red line. He said, Iran will not go past this. And he gave very clear indication that military action would be taken if they reached that point. So the world is going to be watching and waiting. And it's interesting, after Benjamin Netanyahu made that statement that in the papers that uh, the Israelis are waking up to this morning, because remember um, that they're about nine hours ahead, they're waking up to the Jerusalem Post that has the headlines of Russia warns Israel and West against an attack on Iran. And so Russia is coming out once again 
I, you know, yoking themselves, being allies with Iran, saying that Israel don't attack the nuclear facilities in Iran and given warning. And so as we talked about in our New Year's Eve prophecy update, we know that the prophecies that are going to be fulfilled that are yet future is that Iran with Persia, that is uh, Iran, Persia was, um, Iran actually called Persia uh, clear up until the 1930s, and then they changed the name of Persia to Iran. But Russia, along with Iran and some of those Islamic nations, are going to come into Israel in what Ezekiel chapter 38 tells us of that battle of Gog and Magog. And God is going to fend Israel at that time. And it seems like the stage is being set up for that. And we talked about that quite extensively in our New Year's Eve prophecy update. So if you want to know more about that, get that uh, tape or CD. And uh, also you can listen to it online. But it's interesting that all throughout their history, Israel has been isolated and they have been uh, threatened. And we see that this took place uh, something similar 2,700 years ago. As we open up 2 Kings chapter 18, we see that the Assyrians, who are the power uh, nation of the world right now, they're the most powerful empire that are on the scene. And you recall in chapter 17 that it was the Assyrians that came down into Israel, Assyria, uh, up north there. They are making their way uh, over the Fertile Crescent, and then into Israel, into Syria. They'd taken over Syria. They came to the ten northern tribes of Israel, carried them away into captivity. Uh, they're beginning to resettle in Israel. And now at this time, as we open up chapter 18 of Second Kings, Hezekiah is the king of Judah. And it's about 715 um, uh, BC, uh, Israel again, the ten northern tribes have been carried off into captivity, and Hezekiah is there in Jerusalem, in Judah. And we read in chapter 18 now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Allah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. So Hezekiah, he's one of the outstanding kings of Judah. And we're going to see as we read in verses 3 through 7, six characteristics that made him a very godly king. And I think that these are the same characteristics that we should have in our lives that will make us a great man, a great woman in the eyes of God. But here is Hezekiah. He's one of the last of the good kings of Judah. Matter of fact, as I mentioned to you, this is about 715 BC. The house of Israel has already been taken off into captivity some seven years before for this and we see that Hezekiah on the throne in Judah we know that the Assyrians at this time actually as you read second chronicles of this account is saying that the Assyrians are coming already into Judah beginning to take uh, captive some of those cities of Judah, uh, overtake many of the cities of Judah, and really all that is really left here is Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And we're going to see that account at verse 17. But Hezekiah, he's now on the throne, is very difficult days, and they're only about 110 years away 
from when the house of Judah is going to be taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. And here is Hezekiah, one of the last of the good kings, godly kings, uh, standing kings of Judah. There's going to be one more that we will see in chapter 22, and that is Josiah. And Josiah is going to bring reforms to the land, and he's going to bring somewhat of a revival. And I say somewhat, and you'll know what I mean when we get to that chapter. So here is Hezekiah. He's a good king. He's 25 years old when he reigns. And then verse 3 tells us he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. And he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. And he trusted, verse 5, in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So what made Hezekiah a a godly king, a, a great king in the eyes of the Lord? These six characteristics that we see here. We see that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible tells you and me that we are to live in righteousness, that we are to live rightly before the Lord. And I want to remind you once again that the Lord didn't come along to save you and me so that we can live in sin, so we can live in a sinful lifestyle, so we can go after and pursue the pleasures of the world. But we are to live in righteousness. Now, as the Bible declares, and I was teaching this to my kids in the New Testament survey class that I teach on Wednesday, that as we were surveying the book of Romans, the book of Romans, of course, is a very important book because it's the most theological and systematic book that we have in the New Testament that explains our need for the gospel. And in chapter 1, it talks about the depravity of man and the immorality of man in chapter 1 of Romans. So here you have the heathen, the immoral person, that they're guilty before God. But then in chapter 2, it talks about the man who sees himself as being righteous, that he is guilty as well, that he commits sin as well. And so in chapter 3 of the book of Romans, it sums it up and says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And in the Greek, what it's given a picture of is a person who has a bow and an arrow and he pulls back that arrow and he's trying to hit a target and as he lets that arrow go, that arrow falls short. And every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Matter of fact, the word sin has the meaning of missing the mark. It has the meaning of trying to hit a target and you don't hit that target, trying to hit the bullseye. So all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And also, as the book of Romans goes on to inform us, that because of sin, we um, are all guilty before God. And, and because of sin, uh, wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, when you get a wage, you've earned that, right? And what you and I have earned is death because of our sin. But then Paul begins to talk about something very wonderful in the book of Romans, and that is 
the doctrine of justification. It's a legal term. It's just as if I've never sinned as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So those important words in the book of Romans, justification and redemption, we have been redeemed freely by his grace as we come and as we receive the unmerited favor of God because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. We come in faith to him. Then he imputes his righteousness to us. But we can't come in our own righteousness before God. But then as we are saved and born again by the Spirit of God, we are righteous, having been in that righteous position with God um, as it's through Jesus Christ. And as we are born again and as we have that righteous standing, it's the Lord's desire that then we live in that righteousness, that we live for him. Listen, the Lord didn't save us so we can go out and continue in sin. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. That you are an instrument of righteousness. So God has called us into righteousness. It simply means just living rightly before the Lord. And the reason that the Lord wants us to live rightly before him is because as we talked about on Sunday morning, he desires for you to be blessed. He desires for you to be free from sin and the bondage of sin and the bondage in the lives of the world. So here is Hezekiah. He was godly because he lived in righteousness right before the Lord. And then second of all, he removed the high places and we discussed that quite extensively, haven't we? Those high places were the places where they would go and they would burn incense to idols and to, you know, uh, to false gods. They would commit all kinds of immorality. And it was the high places that would be left there sometimes when some of the good kings of Judah were there. They, they left those places of temptation. And we've made the application of in our own lives don't have those places of temptation, all right? If there's things in your home that is bringing temptation, whether it's over the cable TV or what you're watching, uh, DVDs, or what is coming on on the computer, you know, you need to be honest enough. You remember that Jesus said that if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Listen, he's not talking about bodily mutilation, all right? But he is saying that if there is sin, then you need to deal with it radically, and the Lord desires for us that we be careful, that we get rid of those high places, those places of temptation in our lives. It may be not only in our home, but the places you hang out and, and people that you hang out with that just, you know what, brings temptation into your life. So we've talked about that. So what made him a godly king and what will make you uh, a godly man or woman is first of all do what is right in the eyes of the lord second of all remove those places of temptation as we read in verse four and notice here that also that we see that what hezekiah did he went one step further and this is kind of interesting he broke in pieces that bronze uh, serpent and it's a reference to numbers chapter 21 for you know 800 years, here's this bronze serpent that has been around, and they were burning incense to it. It was this religious relic that they had that they would, you know, burn incense to it, and it became an object of worship. And you recall in Numbers chapter 21, the, the, the brass serpent was um, there because what happened was the children of Israel were murmuring against the Lord, once again complaining, and these fiery serpents came out and began to bite the people. And the people cried out to Moses and said, Moses, we have sinned. And so the Lord told Moses, put a brass serpent 
on a pole, put it in the middle of the camp, and as the people look at the brass serpent, they will be healed. And you recall that in John chapter 3, that when Nicodemus came to Jesus, that Jesus told Nicodemus, first of all, that you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. And then second of all, that I must be lifted up, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. He was making a reference to this serpent here. And you see, that brass serpent was a picture of our salvation because we all have been bitten by the snake of sin haven't we we have fallen short of the glory of God and because sin has come into our lives and we are sinners the wages of sin is death but as we look to Jesus who was lifted up on the cross that as we look to him and put our faith in him then life comes to us forgiveness of sin eternal life is available to us and so here we see that that brass serpent they were worshiping it a, a religious relic there are some people that they think they're very religious and you know religious uh, or the word religion can mean just about anything um, the thing is do you have relationship and that's what Christianity is about but there are those who who you know will have religious relics or you know rituals that they go through and they 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 see themselves as a religious person uh, religion has not saved anyone it's a relationship with jesus christ so here was this you know nushustan which means a piece of brass and that's all that it was was a piece of brass and hezekiah he broke it up and got rid of it and so we see that the characteristics of hezekiah thirdly as we read verse five is that he trusted the lord he didn't trust in his own might. He didn't trust in his own intelligence. He didn't trust in his wealth. He trusted in the Lord in every area of your lives. And listen, I think as Christians, there is an area perhaps of your life that, that you will think, you know what, I got it together in this area. Maybe it's in your marriage or maybe it's in your business or with your health or whatever it might be. And, and we don't always give that to the Lord. We think, I got this one, Lord. And, and we have so much confidence in, in our own abilities, in our own intellect, in our own togetherness. And here we see that Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord. And we need to trust in the Lord in every area of our lives. We need to give him our marriage, raising our children, our finances, our business, whatever it is that, that you are doing in your life, whatever state that you find yourself in, in every area, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own abilities. Don't just trust in your own might. And, and of course, it's uh, Zerubbabel that was told in the book of Zechariah. It's not by might nor by power. It's not by your own might, Zerubbabel, that the temple's going to be built. It's not by your own power. It's not by your own intellect, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And the Lord desires to direct us and guide us in every area of our lives as we just surrender it to him and say, Lord, I trust you with every area of my life. And Lord, I'm going to continue to trust you. Number four, we see in verse six, he held fast to the Lord. In other words, he stayed close to the Lord. Guys, stay close to the Lord, will you? Stay close to the Lord. It's very easy to begin to drift off. It's very easy to be distracted, to, to begin to be pulled by the world. Stay close to the Lord. Hold fast to him. He held fast. It means holding on to something. And hold fast to the Lord. Keep abiding in Him and stay close to Him. And then number five, the fifth characteristic in verse six, He did not 
depart from following him, but kept his commandments. And again, we've talked about this as we've gone particularly through the Old Testament that we see repeated over and over again that the Lord told the children of Israel, keep my commandments. And I just want to remind you once again that the Lord, he isn't a killjoy, okay? He doesn't tell us to keep his commandments and to follow after his ways because he wants to make life dull and boring and sour and dour. He wants to bless our lives. He wants us to experience that abundant life. So keep his commandments. And as we discuss in our study of 1 John, that this is the love of God, as John would write in that epistle, that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, as you keep his commandments, it's not going to be a burden to you, but it's an expression of God's love to you Every commandment that he gives to you is because he loves you. and He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience that abundant life. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have strength in the inner man, in the inner woman. He wants you to have peace that passes understanding. He wants you to walk in wisdom. So you keep his commandments, and you are going to be blessed as you do. And you're going to have a good life. His ways are good, and that's what God declares throughout his word. So keep his commandments and know that he loves you, and he gives you those commandments so you can live life the way it's meant to be lived and that is in a close relationship with the lord jesus christ and then sixthly we see in verse seven he did not serve the enemy he did not serve the enemy and as we have these six characteristics and qualities in our own lives just like hezekiah you're going to be a godly man you'll be a godly woman but what's the result of that well we see in verse seven that the lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went I think that every single one of us in this room, that if I was to ask you, do you want to prosper? Do you want to do well? You would say, yes, I want to prosper. And if you want to prosper in the best sense of the word, then you have these six characteristics that are a part of your life, your Christian life, and you're going to prosper. Remember Joshua was told? He was told in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua, you meditate on the word of God day and night, and as you do, you'll be successful. You're going to be prosperous wherever you go. And it's the same with you and with me, having these qualities, continuing in the word of God, staying close to the Lord, doing what is right uh, before the Lord. Uh, As we get rid of those places of temptation in our lives, as we trust in him, as we hold fast to the Lord, as we're following after him and not giving in to the enemy, you're going to prosper in your life as Hezekiah did. And we continue reading in verse 8, for he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territories from the watchtower to fortified cities. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which in the, in the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Allah, king of Israel, that Shalomaster, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Hala by the harbor and the river goes on in the cities of the Medes. Verse 12, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. Now it's interesting, just kind of a little recap of what we saw in chapter 17. And we saw that it was the Lord that indicted the children of of Israel, or that is the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, when they went off into captivity, because the Lord said you didn't Follow after me. You served other gods. And here we see kind of a review of that. As Hezekiah is reigning... 
the house of Israel is off into captivity, telling us once again, because they turned their backs on the Lord. They did not heed the warnings of the prophets. And in verse 12 there, it says that they transgressed his covenant. What was that covenant? To remind you very quickly, once again, that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai, the Lord made a covenant with them. And the covenant was simply that if you follow after me and follow in my ways, then I'm going to bless you. If you don't, then what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself being defeated and you're going to find yourself going off into captivity. So they transgressed this covenant. But one of the things that kind of caught my attention and I was kind of uh, meditating or chewing on this a little bit in verse 12, that they would not hear nor do them. They did not hear the prophets and the words of the Lord and they did not do them. They didn't do them. Here's the thing. If you're not hearing the Lord, you're not going to be doing the things of the Lord, right? That makes sense. And in the book of James, James says in chapter 1, put away that wickedness, put away that lewdness, and then receive in meekness the implanted word. That is the word of God. So if you're not hearing clearly from the Lord, you got to check and see if your ears are plugged, all right? And if your ears are plugged, maybe it's because there are some things in your life that the Lord is wanting to deal with you and to give up and to turn away from. So turn away from whatever it is that is keeping you from hearing the word of God. Because if we continue in sin or in a rotten attitude or continue in the pleasures of the world, we're not going to be hearing the Lord just as they continued in their sin of idol worship and false worship and immorality. And they weren't hearing the Lord. They weren't hearing what the Lord wanted to say to them. So we need to always have a humble heart with meekness, receiving the implanted word. And we need to be ones like David who said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting we continue to read in verse 13 that in the 14th year of king hezekiah shenacherib king of assyria came up against all the fortified cities of judah and took them then hezekiah king of judah sent to the king of assyria at lachish saying i have done wrong turn away from me whatever you impose on me i will pay and the king of assyria assessed hezekiah king of judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold so Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So Hezekiah, he tries to buy peace from the king of Assyria. It's about five years, again, after the fall of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians continue to flex their muscles, and, and they're invading the south, the southern kingdom of, of Judah. And with this pressure that Hezekiah is feeling, that something happens to him that can happen to godly men or godly women. And that is he begins to buckle under the pressure. And he does what his predecessors had done, and that is he takes some of the gold and the silver from the temple to pay off the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria is in Lachish. It's only about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem starting to feel the pressure. Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, they're about the only thing that's left to take over. Lachish, uh, it's interesting that if, if you're ever in London, and you get a chance to go to the British Museum, go there, because they have so many fascinating things. And they have things that pertain to the Bible. You'll see some of the bricks that they found that date back to when the Hebrews, you know, were baking those bricks. Um, 
<coughs> and um, as they were baking those bricks, they were baking them with straw, and they have actually on display bricks that had straw, and then they have also bricks that they excavated in Egypt that don't have straw. And that lines up with the biblical account, doesn't it? Also what they have there is some interesting things uh, that date back to this time that they found a pit. And if you go south and uh, west of, of Jerusalem, um, there is these caves, and, and we've brought back pictures of them, and um, the underground caves. And what happened was over time, that's real soft, you know, um, sandstone that is um, making these underground caves, and they were able to carve them out. And they actually found a pit that had 1,500 bodies in it that is dated back to this time that they believed that the Assyrians went in and uh, attacked Lachish and attacked the people that were there. They would go in these caves to try to hide out. And that happened also when the Babylonians came. It happened when the Romans came in 70 A.D. So it's interesting that uh, in the British Museum, it has some of that accounts, and it has uh, some carvings depicting the siege of Lachish. So back to our text. Here is the Assyrians getting closer to Jerusalem with this huge army. And Hezekiah pays off the enemy, which we have already learned don't make a peace treaty with the enemy, all right? Don't try to pay off the enemy. Because the enemy, Satan, he's a thief and he's a liar. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the money, he's going to take the gold and the silver, and then he's going to surround Jerusalem and he's going to say, we're going to wipe you out, Hezekiah. And what the enemy, Satan, will do, if you try to pay him off or make a peace treaty with him, that he'll take your money He'll take whatever you offer him, and then he's going to try to rip your head off because he is a liar. And he is going to come against you in any way that he can. Don't compromise with the enemy. And here is Hezekiah under the pressure. He begins to compromise. And that's easy for you and for me to do when we're feeling the pressure. Hey, I can compromise. I'm really feeling the pressure here. I don't want to lose him or her. Even though I know that, that God says that I should not be yoked to an unbeliever, but I'm going to keep dating them. And I know it doesn't please God, but I'm afraid of losing them. And the enemy comes along and says, it's okay, you're happy. It's okay, do it. Or I'm living in a way that's very sinful. Or, you know, I'm feeling the pressure of my business, and so I'm going to kind of cheat in my business a little bit, and, you know, I'm just going to do it for a little while. You can begin to buckle under those things. You see what I mean? And begin to compromise in just about all kinds of areas of your life. And the enemy is going to be there to whisper and say, you know what? It's okay. Do it. Just go ahead. And he's going to want you to do that. So he can get a further foothold into your life. So here's Hezekiah. Initially, he buckles under pressure. But we're going to see that then he's going to stand for the Lord very strong. We see this attack against Jerusalem beginning in verse 17. Then the king of Assyria sent to Tartan and Rabsarsis and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem when they had come up and went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king Eliakim, the son of Helkiah, 
who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. And then Reshakah said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king of the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words, and in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? So we see here that these are not names in verse 17. These are titles. And we have the title, first of all, of Tartan. It is believed that he was kind of the commander-in-chief. And then Rapshaka, he's the field commander. And Rapsarsis, he was known as the, the chief officer. And Rapshaka, he begins to speak on behalf of the king of Assyria. And he comes to intimidate, to try to get Hezekiah to surrender. And if not, we're going to destroy the city. Isn't it interesting that we just saw in the book of Acts how the apostles were bullied and intimidated? And that's just one of the things that I think that we need to realize can happen in our Christian lives as we stand for the Lord, that the enemy in the world is going to come against us and try to bully us and intimidate us, try to get us to surrender. Hey, just give up this God thing. You know, give up this Christianity thing. And so here are these threats coming against Hezekiah and Jerusalem. The people are locked into the city. But here in verse 20, there's a very important question that is asked, and that is, in whom are you going to trust? And we need to answer that question in our own times of difficulties. And maybe you're here tonight, maybe you feel like the Assyrians have surrounded you in your life, in the circumstance that you face, in the situation that you find yourself in. And so in whom are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the Lord or are you going to turn to the world? And you see in verse 21 and 22 we continue reading that now look you're trusting in the staff of the broken reed egypt of which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it so the pharaoh king of egypt to all who trust in him you see it was the temptation again it could have been for hezekiah to try to make that alliance with egypt and that's what israel did and we know that it was isaiah who's prophesying during this time and again we discussed it last week and made mention of it, that Isaiah would come and he rebuked the house of Israel. He rebuked God's people and saying that you take counsel, but not of the Lord. And you're going to Egypt for counsel and, and looking to trust in them. And it's not going to help you. But in returning to the Lord and in quietness shall be your strength. You see, as we turn to the Lord, and again, the temptation can be when we feel the pressure and feel surrounded, feel like the enemy's coming down on us, to compromise. We feel like we can go to the world and begin to ally ourselves with the world and align ourselves with the world, the world's ways, the world's pleasures, the world's philosophies, whatever it might mean for you, and go to the world and yoke yourself with the world. When the Lord is saying, I want you to yoke yourself with me and come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're weary and you're tired and you're afraid. And the Lord says, come and yoke yourself with me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and learn of me, and you're going to find rest for your soul. And you're going to see that his promises are true. In verse 22, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is he not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. And you see, here is 
the king of Assyria, the Assyrians, they don't understand why Hezekiah took away these high places. They're saying, Hezekiah, didn't you take away these high places? They're supposed to be places of worship to your God, and you took them away. You're not helping at all. But here's the thing. The enemy, what he's going to do is as you desire to honor the Lord, and that's why Hezekiah took away those high places, to honor the Lord by taking those places away. As you desire to honor the Lord, the enemy is going to come along. And as we go through this text, we're going to see some of the devices and strategy of the enemy that come against you and try to mess with your head. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. We see some of that here. And the enemy Satan is going to come along and he's going to say, what do you mean you're going to honor the Lord? What do you mean? You don't need to be in church. You don't need to be in fellowship. You don't need to have devotions. Are you taking that a little bit too serious, this God thing? And he will come along and try to get you to compromise and not honor the Lord in what you do. What do you mean that, that you decided that you're not going to perhaps have this in your home or listen to this music or cable or whatever it is? See, that's between you and the Lord. But when you make that decision, maybe people will come along and say, what are you so uptight about? Why are you doing this? Because, you know, it's a high place for me. It's just this kind of a temptation. I, I don't want it. We don't want to deal with it. We want to honor the Lord in our home and where we go and what we participate in. And it's a priority for us to be in fellowship. I commend you guys for coming out on Wednesday nights because there's a lot of other things that you could be doing. But you're here studying the Word of God, desiring to draw close to the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And, and it's a wonderful thing. So the enemy, he'll try to discourage you from coming out. Know that. And you be ones that say, you know what, I'm going to go and be in fellowship, be with the brethren when I can. In verse 23, Now therefore I urge you to give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to, you know, on your part to put riders on them. And how then will you repel, uh, rebel one of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. So just give up is what he's saying. I'll give you some horses if you can get some riders on them. He's mocking here the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. In a way, he's saying that we can, you know, wipe you out with one hand tied behind our backs even if you go to Egypt. In verse 25, have I come now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Listen, this is important. As here the, the message is coming to continue to bully and to intimidate. The Lord told me to come and destroy this land. You know, and he's going to go on to say, don't trust in the Lord. And just because the Lord, he said the Lord, you know, said this doesn't make it true, does it? The reason I'm saying that is because the enemy will come along and whisper in your ear things. He'll say, the Lord doesn't love you. The Lord is disgusted with you. He's not going to forgive you. What do you mean that, that, that he's with you? He's not with you. You see what I mean? The enemy is the accuser of the brethren, as Revelation chapter 12 says, that accuses us day and night. You know, you can't serve the Lord. Who are you to think that you can share Bible with others? That's what the enemy will constantly do to you day and night. When the Bible says that he does love you, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He does want to use you. There is forgiveness. So make sure that you know the word of God. Because the enemy will come along and try to just mess your head up 
in your heart and your soul by whispering to you, the Lord says, He's done with you. You're a spiritual waste. You're no good. He's so disgusted with you. And He will hammer away at you in that. And what my prayer is, is that you would stand on what the Word of God says. And what Revelation chapter 12 says is that the enemy was overcome, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony. Jesus died for you because of his love for you. And you're very valuable to Jesus. And you're in his hand. And the word of testimony is, you know what? I am forgiven and I am loved and I belong to the Lord. So get out of here, enemy. And I'm not going to believe your lies. And I'm not going to follow after the deception that you want me to. But I'm going to stand on the promise and the love of Jesus Christ. So here is, you know what? The Lord told me to come and destroy Jerusalem when he hadn't. And then Eliakim, verse 26, and the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak in Hebrew in the hearing of all the people who are on the wall. So please speak in Aramaic. Don't speak in Hebrew because the people are starting to gather and you're going to frighten them. But that sets off the Rabshakeh. And he said to them in verse 27, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink of your own waste with you? He's saying, listen, it's going to be bad. You're going to be eating of your own waste. And then the Rebshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. And thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So here we see that Hezekiah, don't listen to him, don't trust in him, don't trust in his God. He's telling you to trust in the Lord. And when you find yourself in a difficult situation, people will come along to you and they'll say, Don't trust in what the word of God has to say. Don't trust in what that godly, you know, counsel that was given to you. Don't trust in what that pastor was teaching on Sunday or on Wednesday night. Don't trust in those things. Don't trust your godly parents. It's a tactic of the enemy. So you need to be careful. And that's what he is doing here, trying to discourage the people that are listening. Verse 31, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you will eat of his own vine, of every one of you his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. And until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Don't listen to them. Give up and you'll be prosperous. How many people have believed that lie? Uh, I don't really want to live for the Lord. I'll go after the world. Uh, I'll believe the lies of the enemy and they'll believe that they'll be prosperous. You're not going to be prosperous. You're going to find yourself in bondage. You're going to find yourself being defeated. You're going to find yourself being poor of spirit. Trust in the Lord. And he goes on and he says, has any of the gods, verse 33, of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Ipad, or Arpad? <laughs> Where, I'm just seeing if you're with me, guys, okay? 
Word of God says Severium and Henna and Iva, I know it's getting late, will be done in just a few minutes. Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Helkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah, tore their clothes, and told him the words of Rashakah. So God can't help you in this situation. You know what? The enemy would love nothing more than to get you to believe that. Where is your God? Where is your God? Well, Assyria and king of Assyria, you're about ready to meet their God, the true and the living God. And so the people don't answer. They go to Hezekiah, and they tear their clothes, which is an act of mourning, but also an act of just devotion to the Lord. And they have nowhere to go but to the Lord at this point. And chapter 19, when we get into it next time, we're going to see that God is going to work on their behalf. And you know what? I want to give you a little preview, and we'll come back to it. But this is what Hezekiah does, and this is what you do. He went to the Lord, and he went to the house of the Lord. So if you are facing the enemy that's coming against you, or you feel like you're being surrounded by circumstances that are making you afraid, because Hezekiah, he talks about how they were so afraid that they were about ready, it was about ready to bring death to them just by the fear that they had. They had no strength left in them. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel tired and you're afraid, you're uncertain. You go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord now because you're in the house of the Lord and know that he will hear you and know that he's here and he desires to work in your life. So Father, we thank you for this time. We just want to take some time, Lord, tonight to come to you and and Lord, you are the true, the true God. The Lord that we can trust in. That we know that you're going to be true to your word. And Lord, that we can come and you know all of our circumstances here. And so Lord, we thank you that you are a God that hears and sees, that your word is true. So I pray if there's anybody here tonight, first of all, that maybe they don't even know if they have a relationship with you. That God has done the greatest thing of all, bringing us total victory and sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. And you no longer have to be in bondage to the enemy or deceived by the enemy. But as you give your life to Jesus Christ, surrender your heart to him because we've fallen short of the glory of God. Religion won't save you. Trying to be good won't save you. All manner of sin that he died for, all of your sins placed upon him when he died on that cross. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, will you do that right now? We just want to make sure that that if anybody's here has never done that, that you have opportunity to do that. That you pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior because I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me. I confess that I've missed the mark, that I'm a sinner. And I now turn to you and I surrender my heart to you. 
And Lord, I know that you are lifted up for me. And now I look to you for salvation. I believe, I confess that you died for me and you rose again from the grave. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for touching my heart and opening my eyes. And for all of us, that if we can trust the Lord with your salvation, know that you can trust him with your life right now, whatever's going on. And I pray that you would just call out to the Lord and know that, that he loves you and wants what's best for you. If there is problems because of compromise, because you've tried to pay off the enemy, compromise with the enemy, will you stop? Confess that to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, no more compromise. No more compromise with the sinfulness of my life, maybe that you're involved in. A sinful lifestyle. Compromising in a relationship. Living in a way that is ungodly. That God's word spells out very clearly. Maybe it's an attitude of the heart. Maybe it's a compromise in your business. Maybe at work. Maybe it's a family matter. And the Lord is saying, don't give room for the enemy to work anymore. But trust in me. Or maybe you're here tonight and maybe it's just because you find yourself in a difficult spot because of just circumstances and life is bringing it. And Maybe you're even afraid. How am I going to pay the bills? Lord, what about my health? Lord, what about my children? What about these relationships that, that I have? That you would give it to the Lord and call upon Him. That He hears you and you can trust Him in every area of your life. Bring comfort, Lord, in work. Give wisdom to those who need wisdom and provision to those who need provision. Protection to those who need to be protected. Lord, strength to those who are feeling weak. Joy to those who are mourning right now. Gladness of heart to those who are sad. That you bring, Lord, just confidence to those who are afraid because we're in your hand. And Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. That you desire, just as you worked for Hezekiah, you desire to work in our lives. That Hezekiah went to you. He tore his clothes and he went to you and just sought you. And may we always seek you, just as we do right now and as we are doing. But may that continue. Continue when we go home. Continue tomorrow. Just to seek you and to hear your voice because you did promise as you spoke through the prophet Isaiah, that I will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, go to the right or go to the left. That in coming to you in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So Lord, we know that we're strengthened as we totally surrender to you and put our confidence in you.